anyone travel from a ludicrous distance to be with us tonight? Paran, that's not really much of an effort, but thank you anyway. Down the front, you came from Sydney. Oh, thank you so much. I hope we make it worth your while as the evening drags on. Thank you, Frente, for your rendition of our theme and welcome to episode 21 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show of the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other D-Generation comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim and Prue. Hello. And we've actually got a very jam-packed show for you on this uh, podcast. I was going to say tonight, but it depends on whenever you're listening. we actually got a really cool major special guest. And that is Piss Week Kid and full hearty cousin George himself, Justin Anderson. Hey, 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 hey. So you finally got my check and you cashed it. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't know really where to start because I'm obviously. Starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have uh, Charlie the Wonder Dog uh, episode in this uh, episode of season two, episode one of The Late Show. But, yeah, like, obviously you've done other stuff with um, your acting career other than, well, well, actually, was The Late Show your first type of gig or did you have anything beforehand? Mm, I've done a few little bits and pieces. Funnily enough, I'd just been fired from the second series of Round the Twist when I actually got picked up by The Late Show. Really, really weird little story there. Wow. Uh, So, yeah, I'd I'd been cast as Tiger in the second season of uh, Round the Twist and due to some, uh, uh, I guess, conflict... (laughs) <laughs> with other cast members, uh, I was let go from that project and promptly picked up by the Late Show uh, just before they started. Um, and uh, and then following up, that was a uh, another equally piss weak TV series called Sky Trackers, which thankfully has gone and disappeared. And there is far more piss weak acting in that than I ever did in the Late Show. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't look for it; it's terrible. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the first time we would have seen you on the Late Show would have been as. Um, that group of hapless um, uh, customers of uh, the various Piss Week worlds. That's right. <laughs> like, like so that how, was the first how, how, yeah, how were those sketches sort of sold to you or, or your parents, um, you know, as, as an acting gig? Well, the woman at the very beginning of the first Piss Week world is actually my mum. So, uh, <laughs> well, the, 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 the woman who's continually nodding to camera. That's it. That's my mum. So she dropped us off uh, for the thing because we were all under age. And uh, the two boys in that as well are my brothers. And, uh, yeah, she dropped us off uh, and um, was sitting there waiting for things to go on and they needed someone, so they put my mum in. And um, my dad pops up in uh, Piss Week Airworld uh, <laughs> wearing a uh, an Essendon footy jumper and uh, spinning us around in uh, the... Um, he was hoist. <laughs> um, he just happened to be there at the time. So, yeah, everyone's all been pretty fun with it. <laughs> and your younger brother, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is Nick, a... yeah, and Luke, uh, and my other brother, Luke, um, as well, they uh, were in Piss Week World and Nick followed on and went into um, Charlie the Wonder Dog, and I'm sure everyone remembers in Dickhead Tonight as well. He was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he was in that one too. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, let's get it straight into the actual show because we've still got a lot to cover here. And we have... (laughs) 
And regular contributor Peter Phoebe actually wants to say that uh, in the final episode of season one where we actually talk about the E Street competition, uh, the clip that uh, Tommy G had actually spliced into the commercial where the house blows up, he just wants to say that it's from the footage. The, the footage is from the movie What About Bob starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfus. So that kind of... Uh, yep, that's done. Also, we actually have a late, <laughs> very late entry to the uh, Piss Week quote competition. It's kind of over now, so we're already giving the prize away. But this uh, one... Just was... play it anyway, yeah. Matt. Yeah. Charlie the Wonder Dog, starring Charlie the Wonder Dog, the Piss Week <laughs> Kids, and Charles Bud Tingwell as Gramps. <laughs> that was Alex. So <laughs> good on you, Alex, for sending it in. Nice work, Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it's just pure coincidence that's in time for this episode. And one more thing, uh, in regards to uh, season one, episode seventeen, um, of when Santa was playing the Santa the Lover when he was serenading the audience member by Twitter confession, that was Marie Hardy who says that she was obsessed with the show, and it was definitely her. She also appears as an extra in. A future sketch, uh, Kelvin, son of Melbourne, son of Alvin. So the Warren Perso <laughs> sketch. So we've got to look out for that when it gets closer. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. All right. So let's roll straight into it. And we have Daniel G's program guide. And before you say anything, I've actually got a little sting. All in this week's TV week, packed with great entertainment. Out now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Even though I don't use the TV week for the, for the guides, uh, I still love it. Um, and, yeah, there's a fair bit of interesting uh, stuff uh, in the Saturday uh, TV Guide for uh, 5th of June, 93. Um, and this is all taken from a critical guide to the weekend's TV, which means that Ross Warnicke gets to put his uh, comments next to the listings. So we'll start with Channel 7. Um, at 6.30, they had a film called To Grandmother's House We Go. Runaway twins, played by Ashley and Mary-Kate Olsen, encounter kidnappers posing as Santa's elves. I don't know if that's their first filmic role, but, um, yeah, they would have been very popular in um, Full House at the time. And then at 8.30, uh, AFL State of Origin Final, uh, Victoria versus South Australia at the MCG. Uh, SA defeated Victoria 109-97. Yay! <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Go footy. <laughs> Go sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, on Channel 9, uh, we had Hey Hey, it's Saturday at 6.30. Um, I couldn't find information about any guests, so I'm going to guess that they didn't have any guests at all. Um, and that was uh, followed at 8.30 by uh, delayed coverage of the morning session of the third day of the first test of England versus Australia at the Ashes. Uh, from Old Trafford. Quite helpfully, uh, Warnicke puts in that you can listen to live coverage on 3LO from 710. So there, there you go, plugging uh, the radio in the TV guide for some weird reason. And in the event of rain, uh, you would have seen the film Cat Blue, um, followed by sports specials. So I don't know if it rained because um, I know as much about sport as everybody else, which I think is not much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on Channel 10... I found this quite interesting. At 6.30, the first of a two-part documentary series in which Steve and Terry Irwin searched the Australian outback for new uh, specimens for their Queensland fauna park. The crocodile hunter goes west. Wow. I I don't know if that's one of their first, but um, I'd say it's definitely before they became really famous. Um, At 7.30, an episode of Murder, She Wrote, and then at 8.30, Kojak. 
When Blake is framed for murder, Kojak goes on the warpath, searching for a connection between some Colombian killers, a prominent shrink, and a corrupt city commissioner. Then over on SBS, uh, I found this quite interesting as well. At 8 o'clock, they played a repeat of uh, a British uh, sitcom called Drop the Dead Donkey. Uh, oh, it's, a, it's, a British, it's a British sitcom yeah. set in a TV newsroom and had a quite novel thing at the time where they would incorporate the headlines of the day into the script. It is a repeat, so I don't know how old the news would have been, but um, yeah, I just I find it interesting that SBS would play something like that, you know, basically because uh, I don't think any other channel would have played it, really. And then at 8.30, they had a German drama series called The Second Heimat. When I get to anything on SBS, usually it's in black and white. It doesn't look like this is in black and white, but I've got no idea what this is actually about. So this is just the description. Herman and Schnuschen <laughs> find it hard to make ends meet after having a baby despite Herman's graduation, starring Henry Arnold and Salome Kammer. And we now get to the ABC. Now, previously for the lead-ins, we've had Smith & Jones, we've had Alexi Sale, and we've had the um, uh, drama... Uh, comedy bread and it now gives me pleasure to tell you that we now have as a lead in birds of a feather Warnicky helpfully says that this is an okay British sitcom. <laughs> that, is, that is accurate. That is accurate. Uh, what is less accurate is that uh, they say that it stars Linda Robson and Pauline Clark when they mean Pauline Quirk. No. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And, uh, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the adventures of uh, two sisters and their, um, their man-loving neighbour. Wasn't Dorian such a... a, a I've forgotten the phrase now. I was going to say Dozy Cover, that's not the one. <laughs> she was a MILF. They, did, they didn't have MILFs in the 90s, but she was definitely a MILF, wasn't she? Yeah, definitely yeah. before her time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was uh, season one, episode five, um, which is from 1989, actually. So it took a while to get here. And as far as I can tell, there's no R next to the listing. So, yeah, there you go. Now, uh, when it gets to the listening for the late show itself, there's a couple of firsts here, actually. For select items in the program guide, Ross Warnicky puts a box around it to say that it's something recommended, and he also puts a star inside one of the boxes saying that it's pick of the night, and it turns out that the late show is the pick of the night. Oh, my God. Wow. He's really wow. He must have had a heart attack doing that. <laughs> like, he's changed, definitely. Like, the, 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 the You've changed, is, Ross. <laughs> the, tide, the tide has definitely turned. Um, I think it might have also helped that there was sport on uh, on two of the uh, channels as well, because like nine times out of ten, it's usually been movies. It's usually been something foreign and black and white on SBS. Um, whereas, yeah, if you didn't really you know feel like sport, then uh, yeah, you you would probably go for the Late Show. In his description, he says that it's the first of a new season of the Melbourne-produced sketch comedy series featuring the DGEN often tasteless, usually outrageous, and at its best, absolutely hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is he on? Is it? <laughs> that, that's a positive review. Mm. Like, and, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's, he was singing a different tune. 
Wow, someone got exactly. to him. He's not the only one because Robin Oliver in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, just to, to diverge quickly, um, he did a little um, review of it. Um, even though the first episode hadn't gone to air, he, he put a little review in the Sydney Morning Herald saying that the ABC has carved a niche for itself with late-night comedy on Friday and Saturday nights, and the extra oomph it provides by having the courage to run these programs live gives them an interesting edge. After a burst of somewhat unnecessary best-of blasts from the past, the late show returns tonight live from the ABC studios at Elston Week. While I have been critical of this program and have advocated a little discipline in performance, it is good to discover that the ABC has been thinking along the same lines. The Late Show's hump was the requirement to fill a complete hour, a difficult task that risked overstretching a young company. Consider Full Frontal, which runs 47 minutes plus commercials, uh, but was also done mischief by having to follow Smith & Jones, leaving viewers overdosed on sketch humour. The one-hour problem also causes stretch marks to regularly show with live and sweaty. The Late Show has now been trimmed to 50 minutes, maybe allowing the excellent grain in the kernel to be introduced to just the sort of discipline I had in mind. Longer is not necessarily funnier. I'm wishing them well, looking forward to seeing Judith Lucy join the cast and help the sometimes lonely Jane Kennedy in a male-dominated show. <laughs> Wish... Wish lonely, Jane <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, that, that, that's something we, we could probably talk about when uh, when Judith Lucy gets introduced. Uh, he also adds uh, that he wishes that he could sit in on the weekly 8.30 rehearsal when the company runs through the entire show for the benefit of its lawyers. Talk about a white-knuckle brigade. These legal eagles must be a sight to see. All right. Um, mm. Sorry, and um, just after the late show, uh, if you've uh, had all of that uh, comedy and want more, there's a docudrama called Countdown to War that comes on at 11 o'clock. Uh, based on the official records, diaries and memoirs of the war cabinets in Chamberlain's England, Stalin's Russia and Mussolini's Italy and Hitler's Germany. Again, I'm thinking about that uh, sketch, uh, Watch Out Hitler's About. <laughs> <laughs> then at 12.30, uh, this is something new for 93, the ATVI News. Does anybody remember what ATVI is? Oh, that, that's the international service of the ABC, isn't it? Which was broadcasting to Asia, I believe. That's right. So that had just launched in February 93. Um, and it's gone through all these different name changes. And it was even owned by Channel 7 at one point. But it's still going strong now. It's known as ABC Australia. So you got to see the, uh, the news going out to the Asia Pacific at 12.30, followed by Rage at 1 o'clock. Uh, with uh, Michael Jackson. Fair okay. Uh, just quickly, uh, Matt, I noticed you did play the TV Week ad earlier. I do have uh, some clippings that I adorn my Year 11 folder with. I think I've shown this to you before, but um, the TV Week program guide actually had uh, returning Saturday Life in Saturday nights will be livelier with the return of topical humour from the wacky degeneration in the late show. And then they said the whole team is back and they just listed the, the, all the cast members aside from uh, Judith. And I photocopied that and put it on my folder in year 11 because I didn't want to put the original on there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did put the original ad for uh, in the TV guide for the late show, which is the the strip that happens at the end of the program guide. And I put that on the cover of my binder. There you go. (laughs) Old school cool right there, Kim. (laughs) I'll tell you what else is new for 93, actually. When, When the episode starts, you get the... You know, this program is rated M, contains adult humour. And um, I think I think the Keating government brought in this this rating system in, in 93, didn't they? And this is the first time we've seen it on The Late Show, potentially, I think. 
Is that right? Yeah, it's, it definitely looks new to me when I look at season two. I remember being very excited thinking, I am actually old enough to watch this. <laughs> yeah, oh, adult, adult humour, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, before we hop into it, I might as well play. This would go just before the M-rated warning, but I've got a little grab of uh, what would be the behind the scenes, the warm up of the Late Show that doesn't go to air. The person who supplied this uh, is Late Show fan Alan Waddle. He had a satellite offsite recording of them doing a warm-up and it went for a little bit but I've got a clip here which the clip that I played at the very beginning of this episode was actually part of it where Tom um, was talking to the audience now this is a continuation where he talks to Tony and then Tony plays some bloopers now he ends up playing two bloopers from two TV shows but the second one he actually played on the Mick Malloy show years later on where the beer sculling happens but this one well I'll let Tony explain it to get you in the mood for the sparkling entertainment we've got some golden moments from uh, australian television uh, to share with you a lot of these come from the personal archives of uh, mr tony martin so tony could you talk us through them <laughs> yes uh, are we all fans of uncle harry from the sullivans <laughs> remember his work we've got a great outtake from the sullivans here now just before you started upstairs keep an eye on terry at the very back there because he actually electrocutes himself on the toaster and watch how uncle harry reacts <laughs> Still, that is still not fixed. That is the third time, Barney. Third fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) When is that going to be done? (laughs) Fuck me. (laughs) Fuck me, man. That's... there that you wish you'd be more like that on the sullivans nah fuck this war day fuck it. Sick of it. <laughs> so crawford stevie d thought that i hope those bloopers are on the sullivans box set that you keep advertising fair and enough that, um, michael mm. caton going off his lolly there because i mean electrocuting the actors fuck that shit <laughs> <laughs> and he, that man became dale kerrigan yeah mm. <laughs> yeah why are they using a real toaster why, why has an equity you know sort of said excuse me we don't think you should be using real electrical equipment on this program especially <laughs> ones with live wires yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on i had to know if there, anything existed like was turned on during the piss week world sketches mate uh, uh <laughs> no 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 they, they didn't trust us with anything not even actual real scripts so <laughs> it's, uh, no uh, nothing was left uh, on, and um, the episode where poor old Bud um, burnt the place down, uh, I don't even think that was a real cigarette. <laughs> no, I think he, was, uh, he definitely didn't smoke it, though. <laughs> All right, now we get into Season 2, Episode 1 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, June 5th, 1993, and we have the musical opening that everyone is so familiar with. <laughs> And so forth, which is a mistake <laughs> yeah. of Channel 9's. In an exciting new year, still bringing you the best, this is the Nine Network. Oh, yeah, well, uh, Channel 9 had many various versions. That was the one that I found that was around 1993. Does, doesn't that, that take you back? Because they, they don't really do that sort of big 
network promo that uh, that they would usually do at the start of the year where all the stars get together and no. go, you know, we're all here, we're all together, watch us, we're great. Yeah, the ABC's version takes the piss so well. <laughs> it does. <laughs> what, what did, I remember, like, watching this episode, The Late Show, and I just thought, what an amazing start to a new series. What What a perfect way to introduce this new series. It was just brilliant that sketch and it still holds up and I still laugh at it and yeah peerless I know it's got that real um signposting of this is going to be big you know and it really was like oh like this isn't what it was last year this is uh really professional and also it's got a lot of celebrities in it the celebrities of a particular flavor which are (laughs) funny like Simon Townsend and the guy from that cooking show whose name I can't remember, Ian something. Ian Carpenter. Carpenter. <laughs> With the carrots. Yeah. And Michael Tun from the afternoon show. I remember he yes. was always good just before Degrassi High. As well as Eden Gahar before he had his hand up a cow's ass, so that was years ago. <laughs> Poor uh, guy, I had so many rumours about him. Oh, sorry, that was a Martin Malloy reference. And also Tim Bowden, Peter Ross and... The behind the news guy, as well as George yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't think of what his name was. No. Oh. <laughs> See, oh, he's um on the oh yeah, yeah he's Paul the weatherman Higgins, yeah. now. Yeah. Paul, Paul something. Paul Higgins, I think. Paul Higgins. Paul Higgins. We'll go with that. <laughs> Loved him on oh. BTN. <laughs> Has he passed away? No. Oh. Still doing the weather. Oh, well, there you go. I know Paul Wynum's passed away, unfortunately, and. You had also Earl McFeast and Roy and HG, Stuart Littlemore, Don Lane. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think what uh, what also um, makes this a product of, of its time is that these days the ABC is, they've uh, moved up one. They're usually number three. Yeah. Usually it's Channel 10 that's number four now. <laughs> <laughs> and also the, the funny part of this thing is the joke of the ABC, which is like, and, you know, this scintillating programming and then it cuts to, like, a church sermon and um, <laughs> dog trials and what else is there that's, like, bananas in pyjamas. Yeah, touted as groundbreaking drama. <laughs> Dad's Army. Yeah, yes, Dad's Br- Army. British comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like now the ABC is so much more groovy. <laughs> All right. After the opening titles that look a little bit more refreshed, we have Tony and Mick presenting, and they decide to mix things up a little bit because they're going, "Hey, it's a new look late show," and what's to change? They switch places. Ooh, daring! <laughs> but also, the- and, and, and they they get to do it on a, a brand new retina burning red and orange set. Yeah, yeah I love the yeah. set though. I love those floating floorboards and the. <laughs> And the plantation shutters. Like, it does kind of make it look homely. and Yeah, the irregular chairs as well yeah. are really nice. Mm. Yeah, sort of, sort of uh, like compared to season one, which was sort of bluey green and a lot larger and sort of a bit colder, really. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like see, season two compared to season one, yeah, it's a, it's a lot more. That They've shrunk the size of the, the stage by the looks of things to make it more intimate. Yeah. yeah, their clothes are still as baggy as ever, though. They, they may have up- upgraded to maybe a silk shirt, but they're still very nineties. It's amazing what a year does, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but like basically, it's been about six, seven months uh, since uh, the end of season one. Don't forget. Yeah, it would mm. be, wouldn't it? They started about a month earlier. 
because uh, last well, season one they started in July, so season two they started in June. So after giving a bit of a tour of the floor plan, really, and also a very dated Mary McKillop joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, the first of many Mary McKillop jokes from Mick Malloy in, in there's going to be more later in the series Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's only somebody like Mick who can get away with that sort of joke saying that Mary McKillop has a small tattoo of a scorpion just above the bikini line <laughs> <laughs> but, if anyone's going to know it's Mick Malloy exactly <laughs> But they do have a new cast member, which they Tony does refer to the at the very intro of the opening titles. An old showbiz buddy of ours, please make a welcome, Miss Judith Lucy. Cute as a button. I know. Nice visor ripping there. I love the introduction of Judith. Yeah. And my favourite line is when she goes, well, it's not Barrel Girl on Pluck a Duck, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) And they do say that uh, Judith has uh, gone through various uh, testing through the Late Show Institute just to make sure that she is worthy of her spot on the cast and crew, really. That really made me laugh. Like, I love the, the... attention to detail like there's this dymo label that just says anal humor that they've stuck on an o2 sats machine <laughs> just would have been, if you were in the hospital that day when that was being shot you would have just been what is this <laughs> how was everyone's reaction to seeing judith i know my friends and i were horrified who is this stranger who's infiltrated the late show jane is only the, the only woman who was Meant to be there. We were. We, it took a while for us to get used to the idea of this change, this Judith arriving. Who was this stranger? And uh, we just wanted things as they were. The old late show. It did take a while for us, admittedly, to get used to Judith being around. But it, it did. She did grow on me. Yeah, she doesn't do in this episode. She doesn't do a whole heap of stuff. Like she has a couple of little bits where she does things. But I think it. I think it did take us a few weeks to get to understand where she was coming from and I I remember being hooked quite quickly on her you know once I sort of got the level she was working on but but in this first week you're sort of like okay who's this this is a bit weird you know I was really excited about it I think um you know she'd been on the big gig a bit and I loved her there and although around this age I wasn't a huge um like stand-up audience member because it was sort of you needed to go to pubs and be 18 and stuff. But I went to sort of PG-rated stuff like the Secret Police Woman Ball at the Athenaeum and I can't remember if she was there, but I know I saw her live a few times and she was amazing. So for me it was just really exciting. But I remember a lot of people being weird about it and that was a shame because she was ace. Certainly my impression just on the first episode alone is that she does seem to be like the female counterpart to Mick Malloy just about, especially with um, uh, one of her... It's almost like a monologue uh, that comes uh, later on uh, in the episode. And, and she, she really does you know, bring her own sort of uh, flavour to the, to the group. But I will say there was a little fat kid from Hey Dad reference thrown in there too. <laughs> yes. Oh, now... now... And now also there was a reference. Uh, they wanted to see whether uh, Judith uh, was funny away from the group. So they basically 
tailed her and showed her uh, like a, a almost telephoto style uh, going into a place called Dickie and John's Crazy House. I Does know, anybody know? So like, funny. I like, have no reference to that. What that was? That is so trapped in the nineties. Like I, I, it does I, not I was, exist I, now. I, 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 I was going to ask whether anybody knows the venue or or Dickie or John. Oh, Absolutely. Yes, I do. I, I know them quite well. I was the bar manager at Dracula's Cabaret Restaurant for a very long time. Amazing. And they were, and they were the um, owners. So Tiki and John had the crazy house and uh, and originally Tiki and John's uh, theatre restaurant, which was the first cabaret restaurant in Melbourne, and uh, their children started Dracula's Cabaret Restaurant. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Knocked, oh, sorry, Cafe Nocturne, I think it was... Uh, in the city, which was an old bar that used to have people like Nick Cave used to hang out and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, Dickie and John's restaurant was actually um, on uh, Russell Street, I think it was. Uh, it's where the 1806, the cocktail bar is in the city now in Melbourne. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, so their kids had uh, Dracula's, which I worked at. And uh, Tiki passed away a few years ago. But John's still going. He's, he's 90s, I think, now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Justin, that's amazing history. Thank you for sharing that. That's okay. Yeah. That's funny one. We have a whole other podcast about Dracula. Into that one. <laughs> oh. So anyone who came through Dracula's back somewhere between 2006 and 2014, I no doubt made your drinks or probably served you at your table. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Anyway, it's time for the news desk. And now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. Yeah. He's now got a new intro. But instead of the summary things as we usually go through in season one, I'm just only going to point out ones that there'll be obvious jokes later on. So I'm just going to skip those bullet point ones and go straight into the news. So the Australian economy has been hitting a record low and John Dawkins at at the OECD meeting in Paris, Senator Evans, Gareth Evans, which is Rob, does his great little head wobble again. That's all back. (laughs) (laughs) So he's there to try and sum up all the international events. So him and Tommy just rattle off a couple of things like the banning of uh, the three Northwest flights in the airline wars. And (laughs) only Evans did that because the stewardess ignored him three times after pressing the button. And didn't he have to watch Yahoo Kelly three times? Oh, Reckless Kelly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. I, well, I actually got a copy right behind me right now. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does a bit where he sort of he extends the whole head wobbling kind of amusement to be a sort of fly catcher, which is sort of slight um, reference to Karate Kid, I think, which, which is rather nice. And then towards the end of it also, suddenly the references ter- change into um, – uh, what, what's it called? The get smart. So you suddenly get references to chaos and and spies, and the, then it, the the finale is he answers a phone call on his shoe. So this this is quite this is quite the one for pop culture fans. Um, t- quite typical of the late show. They can't really be bothered with doing hard satire, so they just reference old telly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and next time we better use the cone of silence. Yes. 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 Yeah. But when he says they're going to serve Big Ben pies, what the hell? <laughs> Is this about to be referenced by Tom in the news article coming up? Like, I'd say so. I'd say there'll be that reference. Right. Yeah, with food contamination down the track. Right. So, But after that, uh, in America, Bill Clinton gives a fiery reception when visiting Washington on Memorial Day. To all of you who are shouting, I have heard you, I ask you now to hear me. 
guy. That's a running joke. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the product recall about the pies recalled due to contamination because they could have possibly meat in it. And Tommy G <laughs> demonstrates what's actually in the pie and what to look out for. And it looks like it's full of like green slime that you can buy from Toy World. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, oh, there's obviously some peas mixed in with it as well because it's a bit chunky. <laughs> and then Tom gets to, to put in a very traditional uh, jab saying that it can go back to the canteen. Yeah. <laughs> that, seems, that seems very old school to me. And that seems like something that, um, uh, you know, they, they'd be saying on IMT, I think. Yeah. Yes. TV news where there's a community welfare group that has released an ad showing a vigilante gang driving the streets to shoot up street kids. I couldn't find this ad on YouTube. so But I remember seeing it and briefly and it never showed again because people complained about it. And the sequel was in the works to round up and shoot Volvo drivers. And other news, well, you said South Australia wins the state of origin, but that doesn't make sense. The Melbourne guide had the game starting at 8.30 at night, but I don't know whether that was live or not. I don't think it would have been because there probably would have been rules, um, like because it was played at the MCG, there probably would have been rules that they couldn't show the game live because uh, they wanted people to go to the venue. But they had uh, footage of uh, a bunch of team players going through prenatal classes, which was just them stretching. <laughs> <laughs> so, and SBS uh, shows off their dodgy state-of-the-art studio. And the Late Show video goes on sale in Iraq <laughs> at the ABC's. <laughs> Uh, shop, yeah. As Tom says uh, right after that, that's a pathetic plug. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but a, but a very necessary one if they want to get money in. And there's a reference to sport. Oh, no, more sport talk where <laughs> Queensland wins third state of origin clash and then they showed a clip of Benny Elias being crash tackled at the airport. That was like, funny. I know. Like, that, <laughs> that really happened. Like he's being interviewed and then someone just grabs him, hooks him around the neck. Like is that really <laughs> something that happened? Yeah, there was there was almost no no joke required. The the uh, the footage of uh, yeah Ben Elias getting crash tackled in an, in an airport lounge at yeah. the carousel was just funny uh, in and of itself. Yeah, so, and I love the way Tommy just slides that in. Like there you go. Just have a bit of that visual, no reference <laughs> to <laughs> what happened. <laughs> yeah, and then Tommy talks about cricket and all. It's more field toughness bashing. Then they decide to give a cricket score update. But you know, if you're wanting to watch the game later on instead of the late show, look away. And that just shows up a super of uh, get a life tickets on the screen. Yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Not not <laughs> that that gag wasn't authentic enough because it didn't have uh, tip of my tongue by Diesel playing underneath, <laughs> or, or, or or you know Madonna, my baby's got a secret. Or if you if you type that phrase, if you don't want to know the score, look away now. There's like about half a dozen examples of uh, of that. I know that's really new YouTube nerdy, but I just I I had I had to <laughs> Google it to see if there was anything like that online. Of course, of course there is. (laughs) And advertising news, the New Zealand tourism commercial where an Aussie couple are doing fun activities and so it's Tourism Australia, try and do the same. They showed some very uh, unflattering results such as, which still happens today, like uh, everything's overpriced, shit weather and getting lost. Waiting for their bag on the carousel for 45 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Paying $2 for the trolley. (laughs) (laughs) That's 1993 prices. (laughs) Probably now, $10 $10 now. I like I love the uh the male actor in that who just kept swearing his head off. 
He was great. Pretty like rudimentary uh, filming as well. It you know, probably would have been Santo with the handy cam with the other two people just uh, going around the airport terminal trying to work out what to do. If they were trying to do that these days, uh, like security would be up to, up to them within five minutes, I reckon. Yeah. Really? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because of the camera. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, in uh, in in '93, they you know they they just get to yeah go around and uh, you know stand in, in front of the, the departure tax uh, counter and uh, yeah complain about the the twenty dollars they have to pay and yeah say that it's happening fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And now we have the live sketch, which is what the teaser was about. I'm going to stop that. (laughs) Pre, you're really getting into it there. Yeah, well, I watched it, so I have the luxury of enjoying it now. Ah, yes. That that was the theme to Paradise Beach. 90210. Yeah. And, yeah, this is where The Late Show does the most priceless uh, live sketch performance ever of the synopsis of Paradise Beach. What a takedown. Oh, it was beautiful. So Mick sets it up, and then everything just turns out to be... Hey, Warner Brothers Movie World! (laughs) Although Mick also gets in uh, some great audience work just beforehand, you know, picking out one of the audience members as being more of a Wheel of Fortune man and... And doesn't he look annoyed that that guy... He is is not happy, is he, to get, you know, loved He's so scared. Mick was scared. He was like, oh, sorry, at the end. He kind of (laughs) apologised for it, didn't he? But he he does look like he wants to punch Mick. Yeah, he looks so annoyed. And then then, uh, saying that that another audience member might actually be running around the set in the lolly bags on Paradise Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's complimentary, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> but that was also the backing of the music, that one song really of Rat Cat Holiday, just on loop. Yeah. <laughs> but I did end up uh, reaching out to someone who worked on the show, and that was TV historian Andrew Mercado. And what was meant only to, meant to be a one minute chat only uh, went for quite a fair bit. So he actually gives a breakdown of how realistic the synopsis of Paradise Beach was. What was your role on Paradise Beach? I was uh, working for the Queensland Tourist and Travel Corporation in North America when they were selling the shows to American TV stations. They got this syndication deal and sold it in everywhere to play in a US summer and get all of the young American kids hooked onto this new show. And I remember when they put the sales reel together for Paradise Beach, they were using footage from tourism productions and also they had heavily borrowed footage from the movie The Cool and Gatta Gold, you know, which was great surf lifesaver footage shot in, you know, 35 or 70 millimetre. You know, it 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 was impressive. And the trailer for it was really impressive. And then, of course, the show went to air and it didn't look anything like that trailer. And I ended up becoming the location manager on Paradise Beach for about the last six months uh, of the second series. But I remember that late show skit very well. Given my role in sort of seeing what it had been promoted as 
And then watching it go to air, yeah, that late show skit really got me in the gut. Can you explain to us what, uh, for the people who may be too young or just weren't aware of the show at the time, what Paradise Beach was actually about? Paradise Beach was a show that Channel 9 were screening before their 6pm news at 5.30. The stuff that the late show sent up in the I mean, people might watch that skit now and go, oh, wow, they're exaggerating. Look, they really weren't exaggerating. I would say that the first couple of months of Paradise Beach is some of the worst television that's ever been made in the history of Australia. It was really bad. It was kind of cut together sometimes like it was a music video clip. Uh, They had hired models and not given them any acting lessons so the performances were very wooden and because it was a village roadshow production they had done these sort of they were trying to corporatize the tie-ins and so when everyone in the late show does this thing about oh look there's movie world studios water roadshow movie world or whatever they say i mean that really happened in the first week of paradise beach and it was really clunky and it was really an example of how not to make a tv show and the fact that that skit got made and was so accurate as to what had gone to air in those first couple of months of paradise beach uh, it, it should have been a real wake-up call for them and i think it was i mean they had terrible reviews for the show and they did then get in acting coaches and start giving acting lessons to the main cast and I would say to you that the show rapidly improved but you know it was starting at a pretty low base and it did get much much better but it's really hard to uh, ever forget or uh, outlive um, a couple, the opening week's episodes which are terrible when you start off bad there's really not a lot of places you can go to I thought that it's a real shame that the show got axed when it did because it's one of the few times in Australian TV history where a show got axed despite its ratings going up. The fact was that Paradise Beach did improve enormously. It was on the up and up, but there was a problem. The problem was that uh, all of these kids were starting to discover it and watching it as what they'd always wanted. But then when 6 o'clock came, they didn't want to watch the news. They switched over to The Simpsons on 10. And Channel 9 then went, oh, well, we've got to get rid of this show and get a show that gets old people watching, like The Price is Right, which is what they ended up axing and replacing it with, so that they don't switch the channel for the news. And you, you, you look at that and just go, um, did nobody at Channel 9 realise that the whole point of making a show called Paradise Beach was to get the kids watching. How did they only realise that two years down the track when it was doing exactly what they wanted it to do? I mean, what a dumb decision it was. They shouldn't have made the show if they didn't want kids to be watching something before the news. So it was all a bit of a disaster. But look, I have uh, some really happy memories of those um, the the that show it was a lot of fun to work on. So and there's a you know a reason why it's never been rebroadcast in Australia or released on any media platform at least because it's something that they weren't too proud of. Well, look, the problem is that if uh, you know why not uh, give it a go? I mean, it, it taps into that '90s nostalgia. There were people who watched the show and loved it who'd uh, want to watch it again. The problem with it would be though is that you would have to start 
with those first episodes, which are really, really bad. And you'd have to kind of churn your way through some really bad episodes, waiting for it to get better. And it does get better, but it's whether or not people today have the time with streaming services to sit around. But look, there, there would be a nostalgic kick to it. There'd, there'd be an audience for it. Um, but Village Roadshow TV division seems to have shut down. So I don't think there's anyone in the company anymore that sort of uh, knows about it, remembers it, cares about it, or understands that there's actually uh, a title there that they could maybe see if they could make a bit of money on today. And yet the truth is that when they do uh, put um, Australian shows uh, online, things like A Country Practice on 7 Plus and The Secret Life of Us on Netflix, uh, they can absolutely go off and kind of uh, tap into this, uh, find a new generation of viewers and people who watched it when they were kids who want to watch it again as adults. There is potential there. The, the bit where he talks about how they took Paradise Beach off because people weren't staying watching Channel 9 for the news just reminded me of why they axe get this. Yes. Because, like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that the show wasn't popular. It, it was the overall strategy of trying to keep people on the channel or on the station. Yeah. So, yeah. So many shows have gone that way. But it also shows as well that because everything old is pretty much in trend again so from the 90s with all the box sets and all that coming out you know it could be squeeze out paradise beach probably not pacific drive but paradise beach definitely <laughs> so, yeah, how you say definitely like was it what well, <laughs> did you enjoy well, it well, well uh, if, if, there was, if there was anybody to to put out a dvd box set of paradise beach andrew Mer- mercado tv historian is your man yeah, he would do a really good job of it. I like that uh, Mick says that it's going to be a brief two-minute synopsis, and then says, "I'm specifically talking to you, Robbie." Yeah. Yes, and I love that because it really does look like Rob and Santo went off on one with the whole pointing like this. And the, oh, well, at, no, at, at one know. point, at one point, you can see the scripts in, on their laps as well. Yeah, the, they're, 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 they're sitting in, in, the, in a car on stage. Um, there's also uh, Tom as an Iron Man. Oh, um, that is glorious. Oh, it's God. Awesome. <laughs> and Tom is in the speedos. Like, oh, he's so guy. weedy. He's so weedy. <laughs> he looks like he's going the tuck in those speedos. It's like oh, he yeah. oh, all yeah. looks like an Iron Man. I know. Tom Gleisner does. Let's stop him in the speedos. <laughs> And then uh, uh, there's also uh, Tony as the important businessman figure talking on two phones at once and going over to the fax machine and saying and ev- ending every sen- sentence with the word damn it. Sell, sell. You forgot a couple of classic bits which I adore, which is obviously Judith Blank look to camera is, is absolutely priceless. But also Perfect. I think... I think Jane has to say the line, I love being young. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Santo? Oh, was that Santo? Yeah, yeah, sorry. They just all sort of merged together as as total crap, really. But it it is interesting, this sketch, because this is the kind of sketch that in in the first series they would have, you know, gone off on little bits of improv and they would have really messed around with it. But but obviously they've they've sort of been told you've got to keep this tight this time. So there's none of that kind of, you know, deliberate mistakes and improv, which is a slight shame, but it's still a great sketch. 
Well, they've, yeah. they, they've, got, they've only got 50 minutes to fill instead of an hour. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I, I, I think part, part of the reason, my, my conspiracy theory as to why it's 50 minutes in 1993 is that towards the end of 92, they were sort of going past the hour mark and overrunning that much. So I reckon the ABC must have gone, we'll give them 50 minutes and then that way they'll at least get into under an hour if they overrun. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting Good theory. as we keep right watching up. them if they do actually run over. Because uh, I don't remember them being strictly 50 minutes in season two at all. I sort of remember that every episode being around an hour. So, mm. Well, this episode was definitely just over 50 this, minutes. Yeah, this yeah. one was yeah. really tight. Yeah, But also, this is such a great sketch because who did not go up to Queensland in mm. the 90s and say, <laughs> hey, Warner Brothers movie world. Hey, Warner Brothers movie world. Guilty as charged. Yep, I definitely did that. <laughs> we Got a quick little uh, produced sketch or commercial, really, of Rob and Jane taking the piss out of uh, Jup. And looking very attractive. Mm. One does yeah. hope that they sort of have a, a photo collage in their pool room of this scene because yeah. <laughs> they are getting very, very intimate, aren't they? And you know, yeah. any any thoughts we had during series one that Jane and Tom were the couple are swept away entirely by this. I think. Yeah, very getting steamy. In real life, as well as yeah. that. And then Mick and Judith ruin it because they get a reality <laughs> check. <laughs> 65 bucks, which is pale in comparison today. Yeah. Uh, he, should, he should have gone to the chemist warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you looked it up too, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Today's yeah. price. Nice to <laughs> but how's this? One produced uh, sketch straight after another produced sketch, which is the trailer of uh, Indecent Proposal. Which is pretty much all about Rob and Jane again, <laughs> the love yeah. And yeah, uh, great we've worked in this one. Yeah, and it was uh, Rob uh, who was playing David, which is Woody Harrelson, and Jane playing Diana, which is Demi Moore. And to reveal that it's Ernie Sigley playing Robert Redford, <laughs> a really, really decent proposal. <laughs> Do they keep it's... running this joke all the way through the series or for a while? I'd say just this ep- this episode, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it is it, it is a it, yeah, it does pop up again later on this episode. And yeah, that that cackle is just so oh, lascivious. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what it's time for? Charlie, we love you. Yes, if only we had a piss week kid for this segment. <laughs> episode one, run Charlie run. The Pissweet Kids stumble upon smugglers stealing native trees, and it's up to Charlie the Wonder Dog to get word to Gramps to stop the smugglers. You're making the leap from Pissweek World to suddenly being in this sort of pastiche, if you like, of, of kids' shows like Skippy, for instance. So, like, how was Charlie the Wonder Dog sold to you? It's vastly different to, to the Pissweek World stuff. It was pretty much like, we have a script, we'll tell you about it, uh, but we don't really have a script. They're pretty much feeding us the lines as we're going and making it up as we're going along. Um, again, Santo with a handy cam. That first episode was shot at Rob's brother's house up in Balungarook, which was out near Gisborne. Um, I didn't realise that Bud was going to be there. We didn't know anything like, when we got there, but we didn't know what we were doing. We were just like, you've got to be at this address at this time. Huh. Uh, catering, I believe, was drive through McDonald's on the day. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, there was no real script on it. It was pretty much just like, let's just sort of go with it. They had a rough idea of the points they wanted to hit uh, and a very, very loose sort of script. Um, 
Bud would actually handwrite all of his script lines on a little notebook, which is something which I, to this day, any acting job I do, I do that myself. Um, just as a good way to reaffirm all of your lines and all that sort of thing, you write them out and get it into your head. And um, it was just great fun uh, to do it. Uh, that was the thickest dog I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely dog. I'm assuming you all know what happened to him in the end, he, how he died. Snake? No. Snake bite. Oh. Yeah, he was bitten by a snake. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. You mentioned I, I that lovely dog. I was, I, I was pretty sure that, you know, like similar to. Um, Graham Kennedy getting asked about the dog that pissed on the camera and him just saying that, you know, like, he's fine for a dog that's, you know, over 30. <laughs> you know, like, I, like, I, 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 like, obviously we know that he's, he's gone now, but I, I didn't know uh, that, uh, yeah, Charlie met his end uh, that way. Wow. I, I believe yeah. he mentioned it on the panel. I think he might have oh. at some point, yeah. He, um, you know, I spoke to uh, Tony a couple of years back and he was saying that he mentioned uh, Charlie dying, Um <laughs> and he sort of stuffed it up and people had all assumed that um, it was Charles Bud Tingle at the time oh. and not uh, Charles <laughs> Bud So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's something along those sort of lines. But, uh, yeah, a great series to shoot. The um, other supporting actors there were uh, James Wright and um, Terry Gill, uh, who were the smugglers, and they popped up again in several other episodes. Yes. Um, as, yeah. um, as, as sort of various bad men. Yeah, and all of the uh, costumes they got for those guys came out of the ABC wardrobe department. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys had ever got a chance to go into that. It was just mental. It was <laughs> literally all these old. It was like a, a an op shop uh, with just all this great stuff from the forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies. And they would just go to town with some of the hats and the costumes were just mental. <laughs> they might have had some front bottom costumes in there. And they would have, um, definitely, because, you know, obviously ABC, there was all sorts of weird things in that. And that uh, department was directly across the other side of where the actual studio was where they shot. So um, for the live stuff, which was really cool. But, uh, yeah, really, really good fun. That was the first one was in the old house um, up in Balungarook, um, which I believe is the same property that they use for the uh, thing that comes up later in the episode with uh, the siege. Um, oh yes, with the uh, the cult thing, which is the same property that they shot it on, yep. uh, which was kind of cool. So when uh, you like, it will be your weekly filming, obviously for every uh, episode, because it lasted, I think, was it nine or ten uh, episodes for Charlie the Wonder yep. Dog? Yeah, there's actually two episodes, I think, that were never shown <gasps> that were shot. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know whatever happened to them, but one of them involved. Um, stealing native birds and all of the birds were actually taxidermy birds that were just sitting on a branch <laughs> that were literally off the branch and putting it into a bag. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened to that episode, but I'm sure it's been finished and it's somewhere. But uh, there was a few things that they did there. Um, but we shot a few of them in a week, I think. Right. Um, well, yeah, like from, from my count, there's uh, seven episodes yeah. So uh, episode one, two, three, six, eight, and then the pseudo finale in episode ten. Yeah. Um, and then right at the end of season two, we've got uh, Charlie, uh, a very Charlie Christmas. <laughs> Still makes no sense. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, uh, like not not to spoil it for everybody, but yeah, in in this in the sixth episode, he gets shot. Well, assassinated 
essentially sort of almost JFK style. <laughs> <laughs> after, after 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 receiving a, a bravery medal and and uh, Charles Bartingwell saying the immortal line, he truly is a wonder dog. <laughs> Funny story on that. Rob actually asked me to throw the dog out of the car, um, and Tommy told him he can't throw the dog off the car. It's basically the shooting bit. Like, just push him out. I'm like, no, I'm not throwing the dog out of the car. Wasn't <laughs> going very fast, but <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he have Ellie as a backup? Ellie was the backup. She was the stunt dog. I don't think she ever popped up in it. Uh, she was always on set, but she—I don't think she popped up on any episodes. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Just quickly talking about the episode itself, sort of—it yep. takes a little bit for the audience to sort of get it, but it's at about the time that you see Charlie being yanked by one of the ropes that the yep. that the audience really starts to get it. It's pro- probably that, and also when Charlie is leading Gramps, quote-unquote, to the children yeah. when really it's more yeah, the way around. dragging him around. Yeah. <laughs> they sort of see the the general crappiness of the series. I mean, oh, yeah. was that was, was that sort of uh, direction sort of telegraphed to you, that sort of, like, the acting can be good, but you're like, you know, it doesn't have to be um, Oscar quality. It can be Loki quality, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> There was no expectation on acting in this particular one at all. In fact, it was it sort of encouraged to be as bad as possible and that's why they would barely show us the lines they're like there you go have a look at that right okay off you go I'm like I can't remember what I'm supposed to say next um, <laughs> and that shows me what. So I've, I've got a grab here quick yeah. we've got to get a message to Gramps sorry <laughs> quick we've got to get a message to Gramps <laughs> there's, a, there's an absolutely brilliant line one of the, the girls says it's a stick it's yeah. a stick it, that's the one it, the it is it is so so badly acted and but oh, brilliantly terrible. acted at the same time. Yeah, it's just, I think one of the other episodes, uh, my brother's saying a line, and it's got an underlying thing, simulated acting under it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, Dead, dead Man's Wheel. Oh, and actually, it might not be Dead Man's Wheel. So I'm, I'm, no. I'm looking through through the episode list because, um, yeah, we had, uh, yeah, Not terrible tra- weather. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's a few of them on on the DVDs as well. Um, yep. Yeah, there's there's rescue on Mount Variable Weather. There's uh, Charlie uh, as a, a superstar, you know, trying to save uh, you know the mean old neighbor's uh, house from from getting bought. There's your tour de force uh, doing the simulated drowning in Dead Man's Weir. Ah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That one still kicks around a fair bit. Um, that was shot at uh, Collingwood Children's Farm, I think, oh, yeah. on just on the Yarra in that particular spot there. Um, absolutely shocking performance <laughs> by myself. It was, it was bad all around. Um, but what a great day to film. We, we yeah. had a ball doing that. So and, when you went for other acting jobs, Justin, did you have to clarify, this was simulated acting? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. is it, I, I are clips of this in your show reel? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Excellent. And, it's a badge. You've got to have that sort of thing. I've I've never yeah. shied off it. I've, it's not been something I've always brought up, but if anyone ever brought it up with me, I'd always be more than happy to talk about the story. I I love being part of the, the Piss Week kids. It was a great time. I still have that shirt, I think, that green flannelette shirt somewhere. Did you have to go into any uh, heavy studying uh, with your acting research for Foolhardy Cousin George 
How, how did you play two characters at the same time, Eddie Murphy style? Uh, well, it had to really draw upon myself most of the time to actually sort of find what my dual personality was actually going to be before Hardy Cousin joined. <laughs> I, think they, uh, I think they got to a point where they were talking about how um, they had given us all character names, but in the end they just used our real names anyway. It's like, uh, so I think they originally called me Peter in the show and uh, it's like, no, they're just going to call me Justin there and they didn't really care. Um, But Tall Hardy Cousin George was was just a great fun uh, character. And there's one line that Laura pulls out in that episode, which is still my favourite line from any of the Charlie the One the dog uh, episodes and it's it's so subtle you can't hear it it's almost at the background she goes wow it's lucky you turned up to this picnic in a wetsuit and that, <laughs> so great. that line still gets me every single time <laughs> well as you see on the late show facebook page people love you guys <laughs> it's quite funny and we I always love talking about when people ask the question too because it's uh, it is good fun and it was a great time in my life anyway and I really enjoyed being a part of that and also having a chance to work with Bud Tingle as well. Like, uh, yeah. it was just great. Like, we, we shot everything literally on Santo's uh, handy cam. Yeah. Uh, Rob walking around with a script or half a script or just written, handwritten notes uh, and Tommy wrangling the dogs um, mm-hmm. and shooting where we could, when we could. And it was uh, it was just great fun the whole time. And uh, we were doing one episode, I think, and I ended up in a minibus uh, with Tony Martin in the back of the bus practising all of his barge-ass lines, which was just hysterical. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, got that's early great memories. How does this sound? What do you think of these? <laughs> <laughs> it was really quite good. It was quite good. Excellent. So after Charlie saves the day from the smugglers, hooray, Charlie, we love you. <laughs> nice work, Charlie. Nice work, Charlie. Cool. <laughs> it's acted too well. <laughs> All right, well, we have after Charlie the Wonder Dog, we now have a oh, – Judith um, is on the couch <laughs> spontaneously talking to Tony and Mick and Jace about what they got up to during the break, and they went – New York, New York, all over Melbourne. Oh, yeah, I love this sketch. It's so yeah. it looks so beautiful. The reason they do this sketch is because for some weird reason, about a week or so beforehand, the ABC had been massively promoting the fact that they were going to show on the town, right? Oh. On, on the town is you know is like a classic film from the fifties, but. But why they gave it such heavy promotion, I have absolutely no idea. But this was like their Friday night film. We're going to show On the Town. And and every time I turn on the ABC in that period, I would just see promotions for On the Town. I was like, you know, this this must be like the most brilliant film ever in the world if they're promoting it so heavily. So it was it was slightly mysterious to me as a as a sort of 16 year old. But anyway, yeah, so that that's, I think, what inspired this parody but I, I love it, you know, they're saying, oh, we're in New York. But they, they sort of, they come off the ship, you know, parodying the film and they're coming off HMAS Brisbane. And then, they go, and then the joke being, of course, they're going round and, and it's Melbourne and, you know, everywhere you go, trams, the Arts Centre, Burke Street Mall, Flinders Street, the MCG, places you just, you know, are not in New York. They're still singing the song and it's great. Yeah. There's a, if you're a Melbourneian, there's some really cool bits in this sketch. If you can have a look at it, there's a whole shot of Village Cinema on Burke Street, which is completely yes. gone now, absolutely <laughs> gone. And also, um, when they're on Collins Street across the road from the Athenaeum, 
you can see a bass box office which is a ticketing agent which is well and truly gone yeah. so <laughs> there's some really cool bits and the old lady applauding at the end when they, they yeah, end up I on the steps that. of Flinders yeah. Street Station and she just assumes they're local buskers or something that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was perfect timing there yeah yeah and you know, I, I, I had no, no idea of, of that sort of context as to why they chose to to, to do that song because, like, for me, it just sort of seems like there's no context at all. It's just the boys having fun, really. That's mm-hmm. that's that's all I really see in this that that I love about it is that it's just it's a big bit of fun. But isn't yeah. it also like a classic Tony Martin favorite film kind of thing? And also the other thing is the three of them are really great. Like it's. They're kind of doing a dance, and it's just real. They're very good at it. <laughs> yeah, and Mick was really getting into it. He was yeah. doing it even after the sketch was over. But I, I just really like that. And as Daniel said, that was the first time I'd known about that whole song. And not being from Melbourne myself, I didn't don't get all the little details. But I just like the fun and the enthusiasm that they just had. For, mm. Yeah, it's really good. But that leads into Judith, who decides to do her own thing to prove the worthiness of the show, really, uh, that she can scratch up content. And she goes through the 50 Times magazine and goes jumps straight to the marriage counselling section. And so she waffles on about how um, there is a family uh, who is doing it tough and there's not enough money to fix the car, so his wife nagged him and he killed her. So... Yeah. Just, yeah, it was quite a, a bit of a dark little rant, wasn't it? Welcome it's to Judas Lucy's comedy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I, I think this is the this is the other reason why people didn't quite like her particularly at first, is because, you know, it's not just that she's new, it's not just that she's a woman who's saying stuff. She's being really, really feminist and political, and that gets a lot of people's backs up. And I remember the reaction, particularly amongst men of my, or boys of my age at the time, was they absolutely hated her. Mm-hmm. And and this is an example of the kind of material they hated, which was, I suppose, against their gender, I suppose. Yeah, I remember around this time, I wouldn't kiss a boy if he didn't like Judith Lucy. That was my benchmark. Wow. Good criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Good <laughs> criteria. <laughs> well, anything that I'll help try and promote Judith Lucy on the Facebook page, it gets... Uh, yeah, responses from the ones who don't like uh, feministic. It's it's the, it's yeah. the, it's the whole spectrum, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, mm. really it just hard. shows how little how little has changed in all that time. And yeah, this is, this is very timely. What she's talking yeah. about is just so relevant today. Yeah, yeah. The actual issue was about this um, judge that had said in court that um, no can sometimes mean yes, and that was just like. You know, I remember because I was in year 12 at the time and that was we had to do all the anal- analysis articles on that. And But it was just outrageous that that was a, a thing that was being said in court. It was mm. devastating. And really, we haven't come a long way. I'm just amazed that such dark material about, um, yeah, the husband killing your wife was in such a light magazine as Thrifty Times, the magazine that saves you money. Yes, with our such as cold in winter, wear a jumper. (laughs) But that does lead into a really odd commercial, but as you've said, Prue, this is what it was all about, Um, and they somehow seg it into McDonald's promoting McJustice Day. And there's there's also a very noticeable edit um, in uh, Rob's voiceover between the words McJustice and Day, like, like the... 
Like the name might have had to have been edited out at the last second, those pesky lawyers again. So that could be why, yeah, they gone, all right, if you do that, then, yeah, because it was a very uncomfortable sketch, really, but it was just illustrating that point that Judith was talking about. But yeah, again, again, really proving the point and, yeah, essentially saying that, you know, every Tuesday uh, at McDonald's, you know, it's where no after a little persuasive handling can mean yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Judith basically being pestered to have fries with that. (laughs) (laughs) And look, we've got another trailer of Indecent Proposal again with same setup, same people, but this time it's Molly Meldrum as (laughs) as John with a ludicrous proposal. Do yourself a (laughs) favour. I'm 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 grateful that uh, that Molly and Ernie both uh, said yes to this. Uh, like again, I think this might have been the sort of the turning of the tide for the late show between '92 and '93. In that, you know, people might have been hesitant to go on the late show last year, but now that they seem to be comedy darlings, it's sort of you know, like everybody seems to be saying yes. Yeah. Especially to to yeah to have the piss take well especially Molly to have the piss taken out of himself, um, you know uh, to have a, a ludicrous proposal put on you know straight after uh, his face is on screen. Do you sometimes think um, you know how in '93 or even was it later that um, people would sometimes pop up on red faces like Rob and Jane were guest judges and stuff? Do you think that there was a bit of tit for tat? Like, if you come on our sketch, oh, we'll come on as a guest judge. (laughs) I'd say so. It probably was. Yeah. 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 All right. Now we have the sketch, which is a bit of a long one, and that's all about Cliff Thompson being the cult leader with Mick being Cliff Thompson. So based on the whole Jonestown, David Koresh thing, because the Koresh thing only had just happened. Mm. So that was still fresh and topical. And, and yeah, it was basically taken to very silly extremes with uh, Mickers Cliff in a very dumb looking tri conical hat. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a great hat. It's a I love the hat. I think the hat's probably my favourite bit of the sketch because I, I feel like the, the sketch is, is quite long, I would say. Mm. And yeah, yeah. And um it it's uh, what we were talking about in series one about they they feel they can do these jokes because of the distance and whereas these days would be much more sensitive to the fact that actually is this really a good topic for comedy uh, yeah yeah it's it's funny though it's a great satirical um sketch in a way like i think it's he sums up this whole bullshit of these cult leaders which is oh it was just a great way to pick up chicks or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah and that is essentially what all these cult leaders are on about <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. like okay that's, yeah. that's them <laughs> i love the part where um they have the ex-cult leaders leonie and dennis and they were claiming that cliff really understood the bible and after they showed a little bit of his you know telling his stories to his fellow uh followers then um, he calls him out saying that his readings did get a bit strange and then he was going off the Book of Tangles. 
And, and, I think and this is what saves it really is is the silly jokes in this. You yeah. know, the, mm-hmm. the the sort of the satire about the cult isn't that funny, but mm. stuff like the real estate sign that says psychotic, psychotic, psychotic. <laughs> you know, and the Blakey impression and the the Bruno Latour <laughs> impression, and they they start playing achy breaky heart to break their spirit and all that. That those jokes are funny, but the the sketch overall I think lacks coherence. You know, it's just a series mm. of jokes strung together rather than a coherent whole. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I agree I think with that. My brothers and I tried to replicate that uh, impression of Peter Russell Clark a fair bit. <laughs> 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 Jeez, Go on. It's better. laughing as you think about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Alison. It's uh, quite a long sketch, and then it's just all about those little subtle jokes that are, that they really throw in there like the winning the toy when they when they shoot <laughs> just little things like that well, so and the whole like... love, love boat analogy that me has it's like god is captain stewing and Mick has a fascination with Captain Steubing because that's like <laughs> the very first episode where he was coming out you know the oil spill Yes, yeah, what? And, yeah. He, and he was saying about Captain Stooping on the love boat. Mick loves the love boat, yeah. yeah. He just died, that guy, too, didn't he? Yeah, yes, oh, he did, yeah. literally like a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. At the time of this podcast, okay? So if, you watch, <laughs> if you're listening yes. like years later, yeah. But really, how, how, how is the love boat theory any, any more or less nuttier than Q? Exactly. Really? Mm. Again, yeah. nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. And also the other joke was uh, bringing in the West Coast coolers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, 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 that's. Uh, I don't know if you were noticing during Charlie the Wonder Dog, but mm. um, the the plants were being smuggled in a West Coast cooler box. That's right. The yes. native plants. There you go. It's always well. A that very would have been a prop drink. left over because it's the same place that we filmed it at. Oh, so it's a <laughs> someone was drinking it. Charlie was all over his face. <laughs> well, you see, my, my theory was just that West Coast coolers are evil. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Not go near them. Not, not disputing that. Nothing, nothing they good can come of a West Coast cooler. You're either, you're either going to get poisoned or you're going to be smuggling plants. Yeah, this was a public service announcement to teenagers like myself. <laughs> I can't believe it's still on sale. I yeah. mean, when you consider that there's all these, you know, craft beers and, and Alco Pops and stuff like that, why are people still buying West Coast Cooler? Yeah. I once worked with a girl who legit loved them, still drinks them to this day. Wow. wow. Keeping them in business then. And I just want to say hello to our new sponsor, West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> now, also, uh, Australia's Funniest Home Video Show gets a, a nice oh, little kicking in this mm-hmm. a couple of times yeah. as well. Hey. Especially with the yeah the the conceit that yeah you'll you'll drop your baby on its head to win a JVC camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was a uh, classic Tony. Yeah, but I, I love the yeah, so. which is you yeah. know a couple arrested <laughs> with this video <laughs> on their possession. <laughs> with the, uh, with the, the the comedy company who's responsible, baby. Well, I don't know what the name of that baby is, but um, yeah, the one from the comedy company, the puppet. We've got a fresh new toilet break now. Yes, it is from... David Ty. Yeah, the archives of potluck. And, yeah, David Ty, uh, 
what, what a guy. Like I even tried to find him online, but yeah. his name is so generic. It, uh, it was coming up. He's a majestic prince, this man. I just love everything about this. Uh, like, okay, in June 1993, I was pissing myself like a loon at this guy, being just casually racist about it. But now I look on it and I think, amazing. The whole thing, the whole thing is incredible. The singing, the dancing, the karate, that <laughs> Yeah, you, you, can, you can tell that David's quite the fan of Michael Jackson, I think, with the, the, mm. the hat on and off and... <laughs> And Elvis yeah, as well. And Bruce Lee as well. Yeah. <laughs> he almost gave himself whiplash. <laughs> oh, have you have you oh. got Bernard King's commentary on David Ty? Because oh, yeah, j- please. Just unedited. Oh, yeah. He is so scathing on this. Mm. Yeah. Very difficult to decide if there's a future for this kind of work. In that opening little spin routine, you almost gave yourself whiplash. I thought that was such a surprise to you. And the dear little dance in the middle with karate kicks as well. What a combination of ideas. Perhaps your work would be better in chorus. Perhaps if you were to join a huge chorus. 20 to 30,000 chorus. Singing-wise, you're not exactly the most enchanting experience I've had. But dance-wise, you're disastrous. And simply pissing himself. Absolutely losing it. <laughs> like, I so what, yeah. Yeah, what was the original score out of? So it was 15 out of 100. 100? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty low. <laughs> I remember Potluck because when I was home from school during the holidays or off sick, that would be on TV. And so I was so excited to see Potluck shown at the, to- at the toilet breaks. And that was only about six years prior. It seems like when you watched it at the time that it was – decades yeah, old but it was, was, like, it was about eight, 87 wasn't it yeah so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I used to watch it on school holidays as well and and the concept was basically there's a whole audience full of potential contestants and and which ones actually appear is potluck they kind of literally draw them out of a hat or something like that and then they they have the celebrity judges i think they've always got bernard king but they have people i think i think bert newton was on it i think Anne wills was on it everyone's favorite adelaide personality that various people like that came on to be judges and and yeah you never knew who was coming up next on the show which is why you got such a wide variety of, of talent. Unprepared, unrehearsed talent. Yeah, pretty I, much. I, I love the way I love the way that uh, Tony Martin uh, introduces this uh, introduces us to the concept because he he asks the audience, "Do you remember Potluck?" And yeah, not not a response. And the chastising. <laughs> you remember Potluck? Yes. <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, he like he he goes through it, you know, like. It was in 1987. It was hosted by Ernie Sigley, one-hour talent show, Monday to Friday, Channel 10. You remember, don't you? And then, and then uh, throws in that it's not to be confused with Pot of Gold, quote, it's poor cousin, I assure you, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, re- he really sells it. And then, yeah, David Ty comes on. And, uh, yeah, I think everybody remembers Pot like, yeah. Uh, once they see David Tsai. Well, <laughs> I did put the call out on Facebook. If anyone has any connection or, you, you know, any type of uh, loose connection, whatever, I can always try and dig. Reach out to us, Show at gmail.com, and we'll love to have them on the podcast just to talk about their time on Potluck. And I already have the connection for 
Piffy the Bell Ringer in a future episode. So all is good there, as well as Michael Warren, <laughs> who's uh, the sings Daddy Don't You Cry. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I've already got two so far. Anyone else? Like I've put out the Spangles, uh, the Nelligan Sisters. Uh, oh, the Nelligan! If we could get the Nelligan, Nelligan sisters, that would be gold. Well, no, no, I, I reckon. I reckon our, our white whale would be Razia. Oh, oh Razia, of course. The the, the exotic Razia dancer. Razia is coming. Yes, honestly, it's not to make fun of. It's just to realize that you guys have and girls have got a fan base out there, and would love to know what it was like and to have a resurgence. Kim Wilson might be a hard one, but we'll see. Similar to what we've done with, with Justin here, we, we want to find out about your experiences on Pot of Luck and maybe find out, you know, what your what reactions uh, happened uh, when uh, you were shown on uh, The Late Show a second time, you know, whether you've uh, been stopped in the street and going, oh, you're that guy that was on The Late Show. And we would really love to hear from you. I just want to highlight Bernard's amazing comment, which was, what a combination of ideas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I want that on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who uh, want to know more about Potluck, there is an unofficial Potluck archive online that hasn't been updated for about 11 years. Uh, <laughs> it's at potluckarchive.wordpress.com. Um, and there's a, in the about section it says potluck is arguably best remembered for Bernard King, the flamboyant celebrity chef whose acerbic feedback was served up on a bed of sarcasm. Occasionally, <laughs> when Bernard felt the contestant had talents outside of those on display, Bernard would lightly drizzle a sickly sweet jus over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll see that with Piffy a bit later. Yeah, <laughs> it's time for well, it's 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 uh. Take the pressure down. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Graham and a colonel. Such an amazing impression. Yeah, I don't blame them for, for referencing because, like, they can't believe, like, we can't believe what we've just seen. They can't believe it either. Yeah. So, mm. of course, they're, they're, they're going to reference it and do the. You know, the hat moves. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're both so funny, the way they just sort of mirror each other and they're doing the hat moves and the kicks. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that when uh, they were talking about the 40-hour famine and... <laughs> and Santa's clearly eating something. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was brilliant. <laughs> I was uh, full as a cook. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they obviously talk about sport. Gee, I wonder why. And but they're talking all about the Ashes Australian tour. I just love the fact that they do reference Richie Benno, where the Colonel actually goes to the same place uh, where he gets his hair done. Gets his hair tinted. Tinted. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're talking about how much the Ashes were a very, very sacred ornament. And so Graham does explain what the Ashes was all about. What's the story behind the Ashes? Graham? Well, interesting you ask that. Mm. It's a. Uh, after a test loss mm. in 1877... Mm, last century. That's right. They, t- <laughs> they, t- they took the middle stump mm-hmm. that was used in that game mm-hmm. and they burnt it, uh, yeah. the middle stump, yeah. and they got the ashes mm-hmm. and put it in that urn. <laughs> what, what, what's that? What's the rattle? That stump can. They're oh. not... You know, <laughs> Tish. 
<laughs> one of the funniest sports jokes I've ever heard. <laughs> Me personally. And then, then they open up the, the ashes urn and, and we actually see the stump cam camera still works, which is quite <laughs> quite <Amazing>. remarkable. <laughs> yeah. I love that ridiculous comment that Santo makes. Mmm, the last century. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the French Tennis Open and Staffy Graf takes number one. Monica Sellers failed to appear because, yeah, she was <laughs> unfortunately stabbed in the back. But, you know, yeah. I actually, because of that comment, I looked it up on YouTube, the original game, and, oh, goodness, I've only had seen news clips where they only show a tiny little bit, but the full game is on YouTube. And wow, it gives you just goosebumps that it, it happened. That was another dark sexist. Mm. Yes. Because mm. everyone yes, hang it, hung it on Monica Sellis like she fucking deserved it or something. It was awful. Nah. Everyone was so mean to her. Yeah. But anyway, back to Graham and the Colonel. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's quite a dark comment in Graham and the Colonel and, and it's like, I, I don't know why I did it in, in reference yeah. to the, yeah, the stabbing yeah. of, of Monica Sellers. It was either her or Wally Masseur. I hate them both. And I'm like, what? Whoa, <laughs> whoa. He really turned on this whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's verging on trolling just about. Mm. I mean, just, try, just trying to elicit a response from the uh, audience. Uh, and also over summer, they were not when they weren't donning the green jackets. They were over at SBS. Sorry, there's a Flemix reference as well. So that goes on the whiteboard. Yeah. Uh, and they do end up playing a clip of Graham and the Colonel pretty much talking in Italian. Oh, that was it. Yeah, right? and they reference the Richie Richardson hats in, in yeah, their summer stints the um, <laughs> at SBS. They're, they're drinking Italian wine, they're speaking Italian, they're, and they're saying, you know, blah, blah, blah in Italian. Richie Richardson hats, you know, <laughs> keep going in Italian. It's great. Good fun. <laughs> and then and then end with the, the second worst uh, Maradona joke after Maradonuts from Santo Sam and Ed. Yeah. <laughs> in bed with Maradona. <laughs> right well after Graham and the Colonel is the closing and Jane actually talks about how the ABC decided to hold a press launch to celebrate the return of the late show and so the list of people who actually turned up in a very piss week style sorry no no pun intended there it was sorry yeah. just that's fine. no offense that's fine. <laughs> well, they had the, the guy from the ABC credit union the head of ABC publicity who's like this octogenarian um, the reporter from attitude do you remember that the tv baby. show attitude yeah. yeah i don't which was just a baby it's like said. young current affairs or something wasn't it i'd say so yeah don lane who looked flummoxed uh, as uh, well uh, as, uh, and, then, and then and, and then takes jane out the back to talk about the good old days yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was wrong yeah and also dgen mate of uh the guys are uh, laurie zeon who was part of ABC Radio National having a chat to Tony. So that was a that legit... Was a le- that was funny because that's actually legit footage. Kim, do you still have... The, was it the Rolling Stone or Who magazine? But there was a really big article that Laurie Zion did on the DGen, and it was one of the best interviews that had been done at the time and had heaps of really cool photos. Oh, that's oh, Juice Magazine, Juice Magazine, yeah, Juice Magazine. I do have that somewhere, yes. So yeah, I've got it somewhere yeah. as well. And it was all like background Indeed. background photography about what they were doing at the time. It was really detailed. That And, yeah, I ended up subscribing to that magazine as a result because <laughs> I, I was really impressed by that. Got a free yeah. Hottest 100 Volume 1 CD with my subscription. <laughs> wow. 
that, that's a, that, that's probably a collector's item right now because I know that they reissued Volume One with a couple of different tracks. I think the, the reissue yeah. doesn't doesn't have the, the number one uh, of that year, which was Asshole by Dennis Leary. Oh, I do have the original because uh, when I was subscribed to the magazine, I got a copy of the CD for free and actually had like a sample sticker on it as well. So maybe it is uh, a collector's item. Yeah. <laughs> then in the um in the late show launch they have was it the head of the abc or or something and he, he comes on and he says well i'm actually more of a dad's army man you know <laughs> <laughs> so another reference to dad's army there and again another really swift kicking to the the hand that feeds them yeah yes yeah. <laughs> philip brady celebrity stooge was there yeah yeah pretty pretty much the the, the ninth member of the late show pretty yeah. much and Andrew Denton's jacket, <laughs> which makes yeah. it a future appearance down the track. Mm. They had a very optimistic initial list of people if you freeze frame the list of uh, the name tags for the people. Oh, yeah. the <laughs> so you had uh, Michael Jackson twice for some reason, Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> Jennifer Kite. You had Richard Wilkins, Paul Keating, Yarn Event, Bert Newton, etc. So, yeah. But, 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 but also a few people that were on the crew of The Late Show was all, uh, snuck in there. So you had Alf Camilleri, who was on props, Annie mm-hmm. Marva, who was second assistant director uh, from memory, um, uh, director Ted Robinson didn't even show up to the launch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, after a live cricket update, just to prove that they were broadcasting live, the musical finale has started with, well, has come into this season, I should say, which is a best way to wrap up any type of show with a musical performance. And yeah. they were meant to get, well, Mick was told to get Van Halen because they were in town, but guess who they got instead? Yeah, Sid, I Sid. haven't got a band, but I've got a cam and a tissue paper. That's just what we need, Sid, because uh, we, we're going to do a bit of a Van Halen. Do you know any Van Halen? Who? Van Halen. Van Halen. Do you know he, Jump? What's he do? Jump. Do you know... <laughs> this is just turning into red faces at a rapid rate of knots, isn't it? Do you know Jump? It's Van Halen. It's just raw rock power. And you say the word jump oh, every, right. every now and then. It's an anime wong. That's the kind of thing they're chasing. <laughs> Eight Sid Halen from a country practice. <laughs> so, <laughs> dressed his, in the chef's outfit, of yeah, course. Cookie. <laughs> and and he's he's really showing his his vaudeville roots, which I think you unearthed, Matt. Yeah, the sunny side um, up. Yeah, which was I think like episode fifteen or five. It was like in season one where it was a really odd episode of the Late Show, and they did play some minstrel type. Yeah, material, yeah. yeah. Mm. Then he ended up performing these songs from Van Halen. So it actually goes for a bit, but I summed it down to a quick little montage. <laughs> that was his first attempt at jump. Keep interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mentioned before, like before he starts playing his instrument, mm. he reaches around and gives himself a really big scratch in the bath, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can 
Jane on the couch who gets full view of that just going ah, and like <laughs> leaning off to the side. <laughs> the, the fact that is when he came out on stage and he went to shake uh, Tony's hand and then he ended up taking off his ring, which is a yeah. more a visual joke. Yeah. Oh, a bit of a gag there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he was pretty drunk, yeah. Like think of that. So oh, was he, was him who drank the West Coast coolers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what what Matt played there? Um, uh, what was actually broadcast was longer than what Matt played. So uh, yeah, be thankful because yeah, it was sort of it was all right. But I, I think uh, Sid Hanlon sort of proves why they didn't have a lot of live performances for these musical finales uh, throughout season two. Really, yeah, it was a bit cringy. Mm. But you do realise that Sid actually had released an album too. Oh, really? Oh, sure he did. Yeah. I'm sure it was just the one, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, no, it was called uh, Cookie. Yeah, there's all these tracks. Paper Doll, Don't Bring Lulu, Bloody Bonza, Mate, um, <laughs> Nobody Sweetheart. Now, there's a track called Wandon Valley. It's and if you if you follow Oskitch on Twitter, then they actually tweeted a commercial for it a while ago. Yeah, wow, that's a legit album. I'm quite thankful that that they started doing uh, the musical finales uh, for this second season because I think it's a better way to end an episode rather than the, you know, good night, you know, good night Australia. See you next week. Run the credits. That's it. Mm. And the whole mm. thing with the records, it was kind of fun, but it was also something that was poorly executed almost every time. It was like they were running out of time. That's right, they, yeah. They didn't have enough time for the records and, yeah, so this is a much better way. Well, speaking mm. of the rolling credits, Justin, do you know why that the guys always – sorry, when I say guys, I meant the entire cast and crew or the uh, credit writers. They only refer to the Pissweet Kids as the Pissweet Kids and not yourselves individually. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the reason was in the beginning of it, but I think about halfway through they actually did change it and put our names in there uh, towards the end of the season, season two. Yeah. So our names did pop up at the end. Um, but to begin with, it was just the Pissweek Kids. I think they just uh, undervalued us at the time, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> was that generic for what it was? It was uh, absolutely fine. But- they, they they wanted to protect you from from any blowback from the audience. Imagine if you had Twitter back then, you would have been savaged. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about that. <laughs> oh no, I think you were loved at the time. No savaging. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have sent you a positive tweet. Yeah, <laughs> I did get fan mail, which was quite funny at the time. Any interesting offers via the fan mail? Oh, there was some some lovely uh, people who sent like nice letters and just almost wanted to be pen pals the whole time. This was back nineteen ninety three at the time, but uh, yeah, we get a few letters, which was kind of fun back then. Actually, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Other than associated with Charlie the Wonder Dog uh, sketch, yeah. and then the Piss Week World sketches, were you were you a part of any other sketches that maybe didn't make it to air or? Um, so there was actually the. Um, other Charlie, the Wonder Dog episodes that didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the first thing I ever shot for them was um, uh, it was like a seven-up thing where I was playing a young cricketer. I can't remember what it was, but that was the first thing I actually ever shot for them. Um, and then they obviously didn't use it uh, and then got me back for Piss Week World 
and we didn't realise it was going to continue to keep going as big as that actually did. We did the Beatles a prick. Um, oh, yep, yep, yep. Oh, you were the, the, the kids in the caravan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was quite fun. Uh, <laughs> and my 16th birthday, I got a ticket to the last episode. So oh. I was in the audience and at the end of it, you'll notice that uh, Don Lane sits down uh, in the audience next to Jane and that's next to me. Um, yeah. If you, wow. When you get to that episode, you'll probably notice it. I'll probably do it sneaky wave i think at the time. <laughs> but, uh, i copped a lot of shit in the um uh, in the warm-up because judith did the warm-up and uh, obviously being a 16 or 15 going to 16 year old in the audience she wasn't sure if she could say any bad words <laughs> and just put a lot of shit on me and then proceed to use every bad word i think that they, i learned some few words that day from miss lucy it was it was yeah. terrific <laughs> I know that uh, I've seen tweets online from Tony or such as yourself, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, have you worked with any of the team other than Tony um, in other future projects afterwards? No, no, not really. I was approached at one point about potentially being in the castle, um, but because I'd worked with Bud, it was not necessarily going to sync up. It might be too obvious that that was a connection there. Um, but that was going back a long time ago. And, of course, I worked with Tony. He directed an episode I was in of uh, Upper Middle Bogan. Um, and uh, and there was another project we'd worked on, which I'm not sure whether it's ever going to come out or not, but it was like a, a short film thing uh, where we played brothers, which was kind of weird but kind of fun at the same time <laughs> um he's he's very clever to work with <laughs> daniel do you have any easter eggs in the credit did you notice anything i know um that hirsch uh popped up a lot in uh clip in the cliff thompson sketch and all that so yeah, yeah I, I i did forget to mention that but yeah he, he asks a question in the press conference um uh, but yeah, there's there's no wacky uh, credit for Michael Hirsch anymore. Come season two, but there there are a couple of things of note. Um, there's a, a thanks to the Southeastern Private Hospital, proud providers of those uh, satire and anal humour meters. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a thanks to Hungry Jack. So I think that's very very fitting that the McDonald's McJustice Day sketch was filmed in Arrival. But yeah, nothing nothing else, sir, really. All right, well, that wraps it up for episode 21. Far out, we made it to 21 episodes. Ooh, and people yeah. are still downloading. Kim, you can stop hitting refresh on the download now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening, downloading, and feel free to reach out to us at Show at gmail.com or on Twitter at TLS Champagne or visit our website, champagnecomedy.com or Facebook, <laughs> The Late Show, or <laughs> I'm running out of breath here, or search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. Just answer three questions and you're in. Um, you'll know the answers when you see them, obviously, but I've got to put them up there because of Facebook's rules. Um, and Justin, do you want people to follow you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle if you want to get uh, that? If you like, it's uh, Jussie Anderson at Twitter. Or at Jussie Anderson, I guess, J-U-S-S-Y-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. There you are. And so if you start getting Charlie the Wonder Dog tweets, we apologise. It's fine. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Justin, and also TV historian Andrew Mercado. Thank you very much, Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Proof for returning. 
Thanks, guys. Thank it's you. been a blast. Yeah. Thank, right. thank you. Thanks, thanks for being a part of it, Justin. And, uh, yeah. All right, I'm Matt, and thanks for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Catch you next episode. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye. When I'm alone with Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.